0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Would you please be seated. I want to begin just to pause for a moment, just a few minutes of silence, just to ask you this question. What are the best things in your life? What are the best things in your life? It's often said that the best things in life are free. Well, what about the things that you were thinking of? Are they free? When my wife and I had been married for three years, we had our first baby. We called him Christopher. And I remember the first time I took Christopher into my arms. And I was overwhelmed with this precious gift that God had given us. I now had a son, and he was infinitely more valuable than my house, my car, or anything else that I owned. Yet, he was free. But I was soon to learn that free gifts can be very costly. To start with, there were the financial demands. My wife had given up a good job as a teacher, so we had one less salary coming in. And then there was all the equipment that we needed. Bottles, nappies, creams, things that I'd never dreamt of. And then there was the demands on our time. My wife and I used to enjoy going out together. But Christopher soon put a stop to that. We also enjoyed lying in bed on a Saturday morning. He put a stop to that too and to lying in bed in the middle of the night. (laughs) We walked around half-dazed during the first few weeks. It seemed that everything we did was driven by Christopher. And then there were the demands on our emotions. We worried about him. We did that even more with our second child, Emily. When she was a baby, she had a series of minor problems. She was born with a small hole in her back. She was born tongue-tied. She had really, really bad eczema. She nearly always was full of a cold. She wouldn't bear down on her legs. She developed very slowly for her age. And so the lifts went on. We worried if everything was going to turn out all right. And when any of our children, and we had three in the end, when any of them were ill or bullied at school or faced any sort of suffering, we felt their pain. And we would have gladly endured it on their behalf. But of course we couldn't, which left us feeling helpless. The best things in life are free, but they're also very costly. If someone was to ask me, how much did you pay for your children? I might reply, absolutely nothing. They were a free gift. But there again, I might reply, they've cost me everything, more than I ever imagined. And both answers would be right. And the same is true with the Christian life. We receive eternal life from God as a free gift. And yet, being a disciple of Jesus is meant to cost us everything. The kingdom of God is free. But it's not cheap. And this paradox is described for us in Luke chapter 14. There are two stories there. We heard the second of them just a few minutes ago. But in the verses before that, Jesus tells the parable of the great feast. It's a parable that Jesus tells when he's eating at the house of a prominent Pharisee. And he tells this parable about the kingdom of God. He said that a man was preparing a great feast and had invited many guests. The guests would have already received and accepted an earlier invitation. But it was customary for a servant to tell people when the meal was now ready. And he sent out his servants to do that but when the servants contacted them, they all had an excuse as to why they could no longer come. Have you ever been in that situation? I know I have on many occasions. Someone's invited me to something which I don't really want to go to, but I don't want to offend them. So I say, yes, I'll come, but then wish I hadn't. But fortunately, on the day itself, when the time comes, I've got at least five good reasons why I can't come after all. So the banquet is all prepared and nobody turns up. How embarrassing for the master of the feast. And when the master hears about about it, he orders his servants to invite the outcasts in the town. Then he spreads the net even wider. And he invites those from the surrounding countryside. So what does this parable tell us about the kingdom of God? Well, in its original context, Jesus was warning the Jews about the danger of rejecting God's invitation. The Jews were God's chosen people. And they had been invited to God's banquet and had previously accepted. And now everything was ready and God had sent his servant Jesus to tell them. But the Jews were in now danger of rejecting Jesus and of missing out on the heavenly banquet. And so God was about to invite other people instead, the outcasts and to spread the net even wider, even to the Gentiles. And yet, these are the very people who the Jews thought had been excluded from God's kingdom. That was the original context, but it also reminds us today that we enter the kingdom of God by invitation only. The heavenly banquet is a genuinely free gift which is, has been provided by an extremely generous God. It reminds us that none of us deserve eternal life, that we can't earn our way to heaven, whether by trying to live a good life or by coming to church or whatever other way. We can't earn it. We're saved by grace alone, and we can never repay God for his wonderful free gift. The gift we simply just have to accept. The best things in life are free but they're also very costly. And that's the other side of this paradox which was described in the verses that we just had read to us this morning. Here after the parable of the great feast We have Jesus teaching on the cost of being a disciple. And just like with my children, we receive eternal life as a free gift, yet being a disciple of Jesus is meant to cost us everything. We heard that large crowds were traveling with Jesus, they were probably full of enthusiasm thinking that his journey to Jerusalem was the victory march of the Messiah. But Jesus had no illusions, and he talks about the great cost of being his follower. Whoever comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet even his life, He cannot be my disciple. What on earth did Jesus mean by that? Is he really telling us to hate those whom we love? Well, it helps if we understand that the way in which Jesus was speaking was a figure of speech. In those days, in that culture, People used to express things in very black and white terms as a way of emphasis. Today, in Britain, we might say, I prefer butter to margarine, but a first century Jew would have meant the same thing when he says, I love butter and I hate margarine. It's just the way they spoke as a figure of speech. And so when Jesus says, whoever does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, cannot be my disciple. What he means is, you can't be my disciple unless you give second place to your family. You don't have to hate them, but you do have to put them in second place. When I was training to be a vicar at St. John's College in Nottingham, there was an Asian Christian fellowship in Nottingham. And for part of my training, I was uh, asked to join this church. It was a placement with them. The pastor of the church was a man called Ramat Paul. And I remember him giving his testimony. Before he had become a Christian, Ramat Paul had been a Muslim priest. And he knew that if he was to become a Christian, he would be totally rejected by his family and friends. Nevertheless, as he read the gospels and got to know Jesus, he realized that this was something that he needed to do. He decided, To put his family and his friends in second place in order to become a disciple of Jesus. And when his father and brothers found out what he'd done, they totally rejected him, came round to his house and beat him up. As a disciple of Jesus, were to love him above all others. And then the gospel went on to say, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And here Jesus is talking about the suffering of being a disciple. He's not talking about suffering in general, our bad back or our arthritis or people we have to put up with at work or our neighbors it's not general suffering he's talking about when he says you must take up your cross but suffering for being a christian we must carry the cross in jesus day crucifixion was a means of execution that was extremely slow and painful Many other forms of execution are comparatively humane. But when someone was crucified, they would suffer agonizing pain for hours on end. They would also suffer great humiliation. They would be made to carry their own cross through the streets of the city as a warning to others. And they could expect to be mocked and jeered. And Jesus faced this pain and humiliation for us. And as his disciples, he says, we can expect the same treatment. The gospel said, quoting words of Jesus, none of you can become my disciples if you do not give up your own possessions. Once again, this is a very black and white statement. And other parts of the New Testament imply that it's not wrong for Christians to own personal possessions. In Acts chapter 5, we see that people did own things and shared some of them with others. There is, however, a real sense in which we do all need to give up our possessions. We need to acknowledge as Christians, that were nothing but stewards of the blessings that God has given us. And it's all tied up with our attitude towards things. Do we look upon things as being ours? Or do we look upon them as belonging to God? Our house, is it our house? Or is it a God's house that he's loaned to us for a while? Are we simply looking after things on behalf of God? And are we prepared to give them back if called upon to do so? Often a good test to how we respond to our possessions is what happens when they're taken away, perhaps stolen or vandalised. Are we devastated? Does our whole world crumble? Jesus says, none of you can become my disciple unless you give up your possessions. Christian discipleship is never to be undertaken lightly. In fact, Jesus warns of people about the foolishness of starting something that they're unable to finish. He says, suppose some of you want to build a tower would you not sit down first and count the cost to make sure that you have enough money? If you don't and you lay the foundations and then run out of money, you'll become a laughing stock. Similarly, before becoming disciples of Jesus, we should sit down and count the cost. Am I prepared to love Jesus more than anything else and anyone else? Am I prepared to suffer humiliation and pain for being a follower of Jesus? Am I prepared to give up everything I own if called upon to do so? The kingdom of God is free, but it's not cheap. As with many things in the Christian life, there are two wrong attitudes which we need to avoid. But I, for one, find it hard to steer a middle course. I find myself either veering off to the left or to the right. The first error is that I forget that salvation is a free gift. Many people today wrongly believe that they'll get to heaven by living a good life or by by being religious. But nothing is further from the truth. Salvation is a free gift. We enter the heavenly banquet by simply accepting Christ's invitation. And yet, I know this, even though I know this. I sometimes act if it's not true. I can drive myself to extreme busyness in the church, I can be so busy doing things for Christ that I end up having no time left just to be with him. And I sometimes suffer from what someone once called the hardening of the arteries. Spend a lot of time feeling guilty about the things that I ought to be doing. I ought to do this. I ought to do that. If you're like me in that respect, then we need to keep reminding ourselves that we have received eternal life, not because of anything we've done or anything that we will do, but because of what Christ has done and that salvation is a free gift. But the second error that I forget is the cost of discipleship. Times I have refused to stand up for Christ amongst my relatives or colleagues at work. At times when people knew that I was a Christian and others didn't. I was more com- concerned about what others thought of me than what God thought of me. At times I've refused to do things that I felt God was calling me to because I knew that it would be costly and I wasn't prepared to make that sacrifice. So if you're like me in that respect, then we need to keep reminding ourselves that being a disciple of Jesus is meant to be costly. It might cost us everything that we have. The kingdom of God is free, but it's not cheap. I'm going to finish by saying two prayers and I'm going to invite you to pray just one of them. We'll begin with a minute's silence. And I'd like you to think about which extreme you might be tending towards at the minute. Do you need to be reminded that salvation is a free gift or do you need to be reminded that discipleship is costly. If you're like me, then from time to time, I do need reminding of both. But just this morning, let's just choose one. Which is the most appropriate thing that you need to be reminded of? So for those of us who need to (coughs) be reminded that salvation is a free gift, here's a prayer for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus as your free gift to us. Thank you that through his death and resurrection you've invited us to your heavenly banquet. Help us to remember that we are saved by grace alone and not through anything that we've done. And may the activity of our daily lives reflect this truth. In Jesus' name, Amen. And for those of us who need to be reminded about the cost of discipleship, this prayer is for you. Lord God, your Son taught us that it would be costly to follow him. Give us grace to love you more than anyone else. Give us grace to suffer humiliation and pain for your sake. Give us grace to give up everything that we own if you want us to do that. We need your help, Lord. We can't do it on our own. In Jesus' name. Amen.